Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast known as Space Nuts, two to a pack. My name's Andrew Dunkley and joining me as always from the Australian Astronomical Observatory is Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Hey, you'd be pretty miffed if you brought, brought a pack of nuts and there were only two in it. Unless yeah. they were coconuts or something like that, that might be all right. I think I bought a packet of twisties once and it had four in it. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, twisties are a sort of a, a savoury snack in Australia that um, that I, I absolutely adore, a cheese snack. But, uh, yeah, I got mega ripped off that day. But it happens. It does happen. I think it must have been a bad batch. A bad batch. Just like us. Or it went through the self-sealer too fast or something like that. I don't know. Still cost me the same price. Now, today, Fred, we're going to look at a disco ball in space. This sounds like something a Kiwi would think of. Uh, we're also going to um, look at what Elon Musk is up to, and as soon as uh, next week, uh, we think he might be up to something, and, uh, well, you know, we'll assume it's going to happen until it doesn't. And an audience question, interesting one, we've, we've spoken many times about gravitational waves, well, now um, we've got a question from somebody who has um, uh, a question about a potential effect of gravitational waves, so we'll get into that, but... Um, yeah, this, uh, <laughs> I can't help laughing. The disco ball in space, and it does look like it's a New Zealand project. <laughs> I um, Look, I'm a great admirer of what's been happening in New Zealand, Andrew, with the uh, <clears throat> this, this new... Oh, look, American... no, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not having a go. And they, they do awesome things with sheep. But what about space? Um, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> um, this uh, American startup company, Rocket Lab, uh, who are, of course, um, very heavily involved with, uh, with New Zealand and New Zealand Space Agency, uh, they are launching rockets from New Zealand. They are expecting to put spacecraft into orbit once a week. Uh, that is just brilliant. It's, it is. Uh, Grabbing, grabbing a, a niche in the small payload market that is not probably not that well served by the major companies. They go for the, you know, the ten-ton uh, payloads going up to geostationary orbit, which means big rockets. Whereas the uh, Rocket Lab uh, electron boosters are a relatively modest size, but they they do the job. They get things into orbit. So um, last week there was a Rocket Lab launch, uh, which is from. Uh, their uh, launch site on, on the North Island. It's the Mahia Peninsula in the North Island. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, 
And it interested the um, what you might call the amateur space watching fraternity, because all over the world there are enthusiasts and, and at a very low level. I'm one, too, uh, who who watch the details of space launches and uh, look at what has gone into orbit. And they can usually do, you know, fairly elementary calculations. Well, this thing uh, put five pieces into orbit uh, and all of those are accounted for by either spent rocket boosters or the satellites that have been launched so that's um, you know that's a fairly uh, uh, a fairly um, uh, standard way of doing it but on on Sunday last week uh, these satellite watchers um, found a sixth item in something they were expecting to be only five and very soon uh, there was an announcement about what this sixth item was and it is a giant disco ball exactly as you've said so it's a geodesic ball uh it's got um highly reflective uh segments uh it's uh, well over a meter in size probably uh, maybe just over a meter i would say uh and that's quite a sizable thing to to launch into orbit so it's quite impressive um it's uh i think it's made of um carbon fiber or something pretty light uh, it's uh, it basically into a standard orbit, which means it orbits the Earth every 90 minutes. But because it's got these reflective sides, uh, it does its job, its one job, which is to reflect light from the sun down to the Earth. And just just thing, like being in a disco where they put a spotlight on the ball and it reflects yeah. light in Ex that's correct. beams Ex all over the place. Except, of course, it's... Um, you know, you don't see these spots of light r rushing across the earth as you do in a disco, mm. if I remember what discos are like. Um, but it's it's basically uh, all about putting uh, an object in space that people can see. And in fact, uh, the uh, CEO of the, of the company, um, his name is Peter Beck, he has uh, he's christened this thing the Humanity Star so that um, everybody can see it uh, and basically think beyond our confines of Earth and perhaps think about humanity as a species, all of which I applaud wholeheartedly. So, so there's, there's, it, it has no other purpose than to be something to look at? That is correct. So I applaud the idea of bringing uh, the, um, the populations of the Earth together, but I'm not that keen on launching bright things into space. And that's because um, my profession is a skies and night skies and in fact as you know i chair the observatory's dark sky committee which is all about uh, keeping the sky naturally dark and so um i mean the disco ball clearly doesn't threaten the the, the night sky in a big way but it does have an influence on anybody who is for example doing imaging of uh, distant objects in the in the night sky and that includes both professional and amateur astronomers and there are very very many amateur astronomers who take these digital images now of deep space objects and the last thing you want in one of these images is a bright streak across it as a satellite goes over mm. and if that bright streak is meant to be reflective and actually intended to be then it's going to be brighter than ever and it will irritate a lot of people i'm sure it will uh, and, and, yeah. and, you, and you're talking about long exposure type uh, photography and and all you know in digit in the digital age there's all sorts of things that people are capable of but a bright object spinning across the uh the skyline that you're trying to photograph could be uh yeah a pain in the Posterior. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> the uh, typical Kiwis. Well, no, I, I don't blame the Kiwis. No, it's, not. it's it's um, it, it's a there is a um, I suppose what you might call um, a, a school of thought that says we should use space for exactly this kind of thing. And in fact, back in the 70s and 80s, there was talk of giant billboards orbiting in space, yeah. which you know would be used by advertisers. Um, well-known soft drink manufacturers are one company that comes to mind. Um, these were knocked on the head because of their damage to the nocturnal environment. But there is still uh, ideas of putting up satellites which um, which have a what you might call an aesthetic purpose, which is certainly what the Humanity Star is all about, uh, which um, would illuminate uh, the night sky. S um, sculptures have been, uh, you know, have um, been targeted to go into space. It, it all um, sits rather unhappily with, um, with the dark sky movement, uh, just because it adds something unnecessary to a problem that is is really still growing yeah. of course cities are the big culprits they you know they light up the uh, the night sky environment of anybody living there and have by and large taken the sky away of course um, the, the the great city of uh dubbo the western megalopolis of new south wales uh is not one of those because we have um low intensity lighting that is capped and um, the reason for that is because you are within 100 kilometres of Siding Spring Observatory, which yes. is where I'm sitting right now. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. we, I mean, I've had a couple of little cracks at the Kiwis, but that's because I'm Australian and it's just, you know, in, you in our nature. But yeah. um, they weren't the first. The Russians put a mirror up not so long ago, didn't yes, they? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. they did. And, and yeah. that, that was for exactly the same purpose on a much grander scale, I think. I think that's right. That's correct. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound make it sound as though astronomers are killjoys, um, because that's not our intention. We we want to celebrate all the same things that um, that uh, you know Rocket Lab wants to celebrate with their Humanity Star project. Um, the, the one good thing about it is that it's in a low Earth orbit, which will decay fairly quickly, and so I think it's only going to be up there for six to nine months or so okay. before it uh, burns up in the atmosphere. So where where do we see it? Is it is it easy to spot yeah. so at the moment they are putting together a website because you, you can't just kind of look in the sky and say it's all in a certain place you need it's very um, location specific so it's not emitting bg's music or anything so that one uh, we can't not, narrow it down. not yet no <laughs> not. um so uh, the the the, the um, rocket lab is is uh, basically about to host a website that will be a bit like the heavens above website. You put in your location, and it will give you uh, you know an update on on the passage of this object through space. Very good. All right. Well, it'll be something to look out for, and and uh, yeah, do a bit of a search on uh, your favourite website search engine, and see if you can track down the Humanity Star or the uh, the New Zealand Disco Ball. Trust them, trust them to pick an era that's long past. Um, but then again, they called their company Rocket Lab, so what do you expect? But, uh, yeah, sounds like fun, and yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. You're listening to Space Nuts, Andrew Dunkley with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by TechRadar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years, and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. 
and there was just something about their their business model that I particularly liked and a couple of years down the track honestly can't complain their interface is very easy to use their their service is second to none uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do and they were brilliant so you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all it's all about privacy uh, do you really want big tech companies governments and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity even if you're having nothing to hide it just feels downright creepy uh, I think you'll agree and governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day and so yeah protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about and how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked this is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. Space nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to talk about Elon Musk. This bloke amazes me. And not unlike what the Kiwis have done, launching something of a humanitarian nature into space, Elon Musk seems to have that kind of philanthropic a, a approach to the world and is trying to make the world a better place through renewable energies and super batteries and all that sort of stuff, uh, although the people of Adelaide are still trying to figure out what this button does. Um, but uh, right now, he's gearing up for a big launch that's going to happen next week, and he's using his uh, his Falcon Heavy rocket, and he's sending up something even a bit more bizarre than a disco ball. What's he up to? <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're quite right. The, the, all the action for this is next week, so if you're listening to this after February the 6th, you might get a different uh, take on the story. But it's a very exciting venture. So... Um, his SpaceX company will uh, test launch what is now the world's most powerful rocket, the Falcon Heavy, uh, which has the extraordinary capability of being able to put 62 tonnes into low Earth orbit. That is it's almost the size of a railway locomotive. Is that? It's extra extraordinary uh, capability. But of course, um, uh, Elon Musk's sights are firmly fixed on the planet Mars because mm. he has plans to get rockets to Mars. Um, I have to say that whilst I'm a very big fan of Elon's, I actually think some of this uh, hype is very optimistic. There are huge technical problems in getting people to Mars, which we really aren't very near to solving at the moment. Notwithstanding that, though, the Falcon Heavy, when it comes into being um, uh, and, and uh, comes into operational services, you could, could perhaps say, will be an amazing addition to the world's store of 
uh, of you know rocket launch vehicles because of its capabilities. So it consists of three of his Falcon rockets strapped together in a row, Good uh, not end to end, but side by side. Um, each one of those has nine rocket engines, so it's a 27 rocket uh, spacecraft, uh, 27 rocket motor spacecraft. That in itself brings interesting problems because um, uh, when you fire all these things together, there are all kinds of vibrational patterns that get set up. And if you're not careful, it tears your spacecraft to pieces, as the Russians found out with their N1 program back in the 1960s. Is, is which that has... different from harmonic vibration that tears planes apart? It's that sort of thing. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, the, the N1 rocket had 30 engines. So, um, <laughs> SpaceX is not far. They were asking for trouble. They really were. That's right. It's not far short of that. So, um, but uh, all the signs are good. I mean, Falcon, the Falcon rockets with their nine, nine motor cluster are already uh, doing brilliantly in terms of putting things into orbit. They're providing commercial services to NASA. And of course, the key thing about them, and this is really where I think everybody has to take their hat off to Elon Musk, they've mastered the technique of bringing the rockets back down to Earth, mm. uh, landing them either on a pad at uh, Cape Canaveral or on the floating drone barge that um, uh, that uh, uh, Elon Musk has got uh, in, sitting in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's It's Got a lovely name, has this barge. If I remember rightly, it's called Of Course We Still Love You, uh, which is a great way of welcoming back your, your spent... Um... You know, I've, I've seen footage of those rockets coming back down on that on that barge, and it, it still doesn't quite look real. It, it's like you're watching an image from a science fiction it, it movie is, or, right. or, or some kind of CGI effect, but it's absolutely real. It just looks so spectacular. Uh, indeed, and and it, you know, it, it is. It's a spe it's a spectacular achievement, especially when you think this rocket or this landing platform is pitching up and down by, uh, you know, ten meters or something, as in the Atlantic swell. Mm. But they've done a great job with that, and uh, the success rate has now improved. Uh, it started off pretty feebly, but it's now pretty good. Um, so that's a bit uh, like the Australian cricket team, but we won't go there. <laughs> we won't go there either. No, that's <laughs> right. Um, now, so the, the 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 amazing thing is that uh, on on Monday on um, Tuesday when uh, when this rocket test launch will take place, uh, Elon is planning to bring all three of those uh, rocket uh, boosters back to Earth. Wow. Uh, one of them, I think, the central core will land on the on the Atlantic uh, floating platform, and the other two will land on land on on the ground. Yeah. That's very very ambitious. Uh, and I think he's half expecting it to end in tears. But uh, what he has done to put his money where his mouth is, is sent this extraordinary payload um, up with yeah, the rocket. This is normally, like he's made a personal bet against himself. Self, that's right. It's almost like that. That's right. So normally when you test a new rocket, um, he, he, the, the payload bay is filled with blocks of concrete or something mm. like that, just useless ballast. But he's put his own Tesla Roadster into the payload bay. And not only is it going up into space, it's actually going to Mars because he's putting it into an orbit which will intercept the orbit of Mars. And Seriously? He yeah, he expects it to uh, be in that orbit for about a billion years unless he gets there first and brings it down onto the surface. You're uh, kidding me. Yeah, it's going to Mars. That's the that's the deal. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking at an image of the vehicle right now. 
Oh my yeah. gosh. It's a, a lovely cherry red Tesla Roadster. I've been in one of these cars. It's uh, I have a friend who's got one, and they are stunningly spectacular. Um, if I had one, I certainly wouldn't be sending it to Mars, but uh, maybe if you own the company that makes them, you're in an, uh, an unusually privileged position. At least so, he, he picked the right colour. Yes, he did. I think that's his favourite. And, and we are, you know, let's get serious. We are talking about a $200,000 vehicle. Yes, that's right. US. Which is nothing really compared with the cost of the launch but that's all right look it's uh i think it's a really great story i wish him well with the project because i think this is very much putting uh you know putting space within reach of so many different groups of uh of, of endeavors not only scientific and commercial but maybe maybe tourism as well who knows yeah maybe look i just figured it out he's he's it's a 10-year-old car. I mean, come on, it's an old bomb. <laughs> just had to get rid of it. That's what it is. Yeah. I don't know whether you can use the word Tesla and bomb in the same sentence. Got actually. a feeling you can't. But I just did. But, uh, yeah, I, look, I can't wait to see the launch. If he pulls it off, though, Fred, yeah, he's yeah. going to get publicity worth millions and millions of dollars. Indeed. The media will go crazy over this. As they we will. have already done so today. As we've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we watch with interest. A launch of a Tesla Roadster to the Red Planet is yes. beyond my comprehension, but um, yeah. <laughs> good luck to him. I hope he, I hope he does it. I really do. Yeah. Now, this is Space Nuts. Uh, my name's Andrew Dunkley, and with me, of course, is Fred Watson. Roger, you're last here also. Space Nuts. Last but not least, Fred, a question from our vast... Uh, audience and um, and we thank Chris Rostron for this question we do encourage your questions we love to hear from you because uh, oh you, you you're certainly proving you're a lot brighter than I am in terms of <laughs> what goes through your mind because I would never have thought of this but uh, Chris writes Fred if the distance light travels can be explained by the amount of redshift does the expansion of the universe affect gravitational waves in a similar way and if it doesn't, could that indicate properties of dark matter? Uh, what a great... Uh, what's, what's he asking? What it is. It's a great question, Andrew. And uh, it's right on the money because the, the bottom line is yes. Um, and thank you for choice. joining us today. We'll be back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. I use it a lot. Yeah. Uh, well... All right. Well, you explain it. Then. I have no idea. I've got no, like I said, they're, they're brighter minds than mine. But uh, okay, so it's yes. Why yes. is it yes? Okay. So um, th think first of all of uh, light waves coming from something very, very distant, uh, something which we only see as it was, say, a billion years ago. Um, right. So the light has been traveling through the universe. Uh, for a billion years and during that time the universe has expanded because it, that's what space is doing yep. and so as a, as part of that process of expansion what happens is the light waves get stretched um, and they get they end up with a shorter sorry with a longer wavelength mm -hmm. um, now uh, scientists equate the wavelength of light with color so blue light has a short wavelength and red light has a longer wavelength. So as the universe expands and light travels through it, the light is shifted towards the red end of the spectrum. And okay. we call that the redshift. So gravitational waves are not like light. They are quite different waves. They are moving through the fabric of space itself um, as, a, as a sort of vibration of space. 
But because space is expanding, they too undergo what might be called a redshift. Their properties change. Mm. Um, there's a, a big difference, though, uh, in you know how you can interpret this because the, the way we we measure the redshift of an object is we look at light whose wavelength we know when it's set off. And, and so what I'm, what I'm um, so you know what you know what the starting point is, you know what the starting point is, and because that depends on what element uh, in the, you know, in the periodic table is actually emitting the light. For example, hydrogen has got a very well established what we call a rest wavelength. It's hydrogen atoms always emit light of this wavelength. And so if you can detect hydrogen, very uh, great distances in space, you'll find that it's no longer emitting light at that original wavelength. It's been stretched into something else. So that actually allows us to work out the distance of these distant objects because we, we, we know how much stretching has taken place. But with a gravitational wave, you don't because the, the uh, initial wavelength depends on the masses of the objects that are causing the gravitational wave and the exact circumstances of that gravitational disturbance to, to set up the ripples in space. So you basically don't know what the initial conditions are, yeah. which makes this a much less useful redshift than the redshift of light or radio waves. Okay. But the, the, the second part of, uh, of the question, though, is sort of on the right lines too, uh, whether whether dark matter can affect this. Um, dark matter is something whose existence we know about. It's, it's, it's like normal matter, except it doesn't interact with normal matter, but it does have gravity. And that's why we know it's there, because we can see its gravitational effect. We know it makes up five-sixths of the, all the matter in the universe. Now, I think from what I've read about redshifted gravitational waves, a more likely influencer of gravitational waves is the other dark component of the universe, the much bigger one, makes up 75% of the universe, and that is dark energy. And this, this is this property of space itself that is pushing it apart so that dark energy is what's causing the expansion of the universe to accelerate. And uh, I understand from my reading of the theoretical physics here, and I have to say that that's fairly cursory, that there are certainly likely to be influences between dark energy and the redshifting of gravitational waves. I might try and find out a bit more about that because it's quite an interesting topic. Uh, but uh, the, you know, the question uh, is right on the money and congratulations to, uh, to our um, very, very erudite list of uh, space nuts yeah and so so the first half of his question the answer was yes the second half of the question was we don't know maybe don't know <laughs> i hope that satisfies you chris uh, but keep the questions coming because we do we do enjoy trying to sort them out sometimes they, they hit us a curveball don't they well, uh, that was pretty curvy as well. It's, yeah. a, it's a great question. And it's one that, um, you know, that um, we scientists ask each other. Oh, do you get redshift in there? Yeah, that sort mm. of thing. <laughs> OK, uh, you can certainly send our, uh, us questions via Facebook and via Twitter and uh, or any other way you can find us uh, via some of our podcast platforms as well. Uh, there are many. Uh, Fred, as always, uh, thank you so much. Uh, real pleasure. Lots of fun. And uh, I think we um, I think we've done enough to the Kiwis this week. So I'll give them a bit of a break. But uh, hey, if their disco ball gets smashed by a Tesla vehicle, so be it.
<laughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, that's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Thank you for listening to Space Nuts, and we look forward to catching up with you again very, very soon. Bye. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitcher, or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.